What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everyone. There's a lot ahead of us today. The DOJ is suing Google and asking the court to address what they say is Google's grip on search. What could they do and how much will it matter to the company? We'll debate and get into that. Plus, checking it twice, the number one retail analyst on the street for the seventh time joins us with the names on his shopping list this strange holiday season. And here comes Netflix, the Hummer gets electric, and is Tesla having trouble in California? It's all ahead, but we begin with the markets. Dom Chu has the latest for us. Dom? It looks like we're going to try that recovery trade from yesterday's kind of late-day sell-off here. Stocks are broadly higher and to a decent degree. 250-point gain for the Dow, about 1% upside. The S&P 500 still very much above that 3,400 area. That's an area that a lot of traders are looking at as a pattern of support there, possibly for the markets up 1%. And the NASDAQ, believe it or not, is underperforming, only up about three quarters of 1% as well. So the NASDAQ, a key focus there. Now, if you take a look at some of the things that traders are watching from a more macro perspective, interest rates, especially longer term ones, are a very key focus here. We don't show the 30-year long bond very often. We focus on the 10-year more. But that little move to the upside here has now taken that 30-year long bond yield 1.592% above its longer-term trend line, or the 200-day average yield for that particular interest rate, 1.52% is the level you want to watch there. So that could have some reverberations in the financial side of the market. Also then, check out these particular stocks because they're showing a broad-based indicator. We got some better-than-expected housing-related data throughout the course of this week. DR Horton shares up on nearly 2%. Same for Lennar, Home Depot on the home improvement side, and Mohawk Industries, they do flooring, All of these housing and building related stocks, Kelly, moving to the upside today. So interest rates, a key focus. Watch that housing data that's helping to propel that market to the green. As we're seeing today, I'll send things back over to you. Yep, leading us out of uh, or through the recovery, we hope. Dom, thank you very much. And investors are continuing to watch Washington as the clock ticks on House Speaker Pelosi's deadline to make a stimulus deal. Moments ago, in fact, the House Speaker said she has hope a deal could be reached by the end of today. Uh, Despite all the back and forth we've seen, though, uh, markets which have been having a rough time with some of these headlines and generally don't have a great October in an election year, well, they're not doing so bad. The Nasdaq is up up about 4% this month, 3% for the S&P, about 2.5% for the Dow. But my next guest does think this market is due for a pause. Joining me is Jeff Krumpelman. He's the chief investment strategist at Mariner Wealth Advisors. Jeff, it's good to have you. I mean, you were somebody who's, who told people to stay invested all along. So this is not, you know, hey, the sky is falling uh, kind of thing. But, but you do think we're due for a pause now. Why? Well, I think just it would be normal after a historic, uh, historically swift run to newer highs for the market to take a pause after a 35% pullback in one month in which we remain contrarianly uh, positive. We thought, and we maintained our target of 3,500 in the S&P, we've just been surprised that it has recovered so swiftly. So after a historically swift move to newer highs, to have a pause would make total sense. 
uh, to us. But there are some law of worry items that are out there. Election, the stimulus bill that has yet to come to fruition and has continued to, to be debated. Um, those are some of the areas that could cause a little bit of angst and keep us in a trading range after a really hard run. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of the pause that everyone's been waiting for, but that, you know, maybe you could count September, but but it hasn't really materialized. Um, that, but then I guess that's your point. Markets like to climb this wall of worry. Let's talk about some of the kind of tactical recommendations that you have here, because number one, we're talking a lot about growth. We have, you know, headline trouble for big tech today, but you think there's elsewhere investors can look for growth uh, than just those fang names, so to speak. Where is that? Yeah, and so to be clear, uh, where I'm saying that we're going to have a short-term pause, longer term, looking out over the next 12 or 15 months, we're biased to want to take our price targets up, and that gets us to some of the areas that we're focused on, because we do have vaccine development on the horizon. We do see improvement in earnings in the economy, and the data is very solid. Leadership uh, remains in the cyclical growth areas of the market, and I think it's misadvertised that it's just all about FANG. We have a very broad uh, participation in the part of stocks within technology. It's just not FANG within technology. So there are a number of names outside of technology that we've done extremely well, and we expect to continue in, in the software area. Uh, we, you know, Splunk, uh, uh, Salesforce are good examples. 2.6, which makes silicon carbide that's going to be used for 5G uh, transmission. Um, so pockets of technology we continue to like, and we think it's much broader than advertised. And then consumer discretionary. I've mentioned before on this telecast with you, uh, Kelly, that I've spent a lot on Lululemon, as have a lot of other folks uh, in the midst of this COVID. So beneficiaries from COVID, Lulu is a great example of that. Um, and within the industrials, FedEx, Federal Express, Wonderful quarter, 17 times earnings with 20% plus growth in e-commerce, really executing at this point within industrials. Those are, those are good examples uh, of stocks that we so, think that will do well. And I'll end it up by saying Albemarle with a lithium uh, miner and, and, and uh, distributor, you know, they, they're supplying lithium for this move towards electronics. So um, those are areas that we think are ripe for continued uh, good performance. Then would you say to investors, Jeff, that any uh, pause that you're anticipating should be a buying opportunity? Yes, I think the nuance, every pullback that we've seen going back to 2009, we, we've always said buy on dips, buy on dips. Our mantra was yeah. in March and continues to be hold your ground. And I do think that we've raised just a little bit of cash after this historic run to be redeployed. And absolutely, if we saw a pullback here, as we move through election, okay. as we get more information about managing COVID, yeah, I think that we're biased to say buy on the dips. Absolutely. Always clear, Jeff. We appreciate it. A lot of good names and recommendations for people as well. Thank you, sir. We'll check back in soon. Jeff Crumpleman on the markets. Thank today. you.
Let's turn now to the other big headline out of Washington. The DOJ, along with attorneys general from 11 red states, are filing an antitrust lawsuit against Google. The suit alleges Google has monopoly over search, locking competitors out of the market through exclusive contracts with distributors, while also stifling innovation. Google firing back, calling this lawsuit deeply flawed, and says people simply choose to use Google instead of available alternatives. Joining me now to discuss the ramifications, Alicia Batts is a former antitrust attorney for the Federal Trade Commission. It's great to have you here. And how realistic um, and what remedies do you expect to come out of this? So I think this lawsuit is, well, certainly it's very significant. The Department of Justice hasn't brought a monopolization case of this magnitude since it sued Microsoft um, back in 1998. And as you know, that was a huge case that went on for years and years. I would expect this case also to last for decades. Um, So the possible remedies, it's a whole range. Possible remedies could be, you know, Google is prohibited from presetting or having agreements to preset or block competitors from being on mobile platforms. Um, That's one possible remedy. Google could be broken up. I think the most likely remedy um, will be some sort of settlement. I think it's a, a difficult case and it will go on for many years. Yeah, difficult case that will go on for years. We're looking at shares of Alphabet, Alicia, which are up 1% today. And they and other big tech names have frankly shrugged off all of these headlines pretty much all, all along the way. That said, Alphabet is kind of the underperformer of big tech this year, uh, which perhaps is for other reasons. So mm-hmm. should they be changing any business practices? Should investors be worried about any dramatic changes? Or is this way, way down the road? I think at this point, it's early for investors to be worried about changing any of their investments. And I think that Google will have a fairly strong case. So so looking at the the complaint, which I'm still working my way through, but looking at the complaint filed by by, um, Google and just keeping up generally with the investigation, it's clear that much of the case is going to be based on witness testimony, which would be competitors complaining Um, and documents produced by competitors as well as Google. The difficulty or part of the difficulty in this action is that Google is offering its product for free. And so because the product is offered for free, it will be difficult or more difficult to get economic arguments. And typically the way that you win most antitrust cases in the last 20 years or so is you would have economic models that show how consumers are harmed. As a general rule, as the U.S. antitrust laws protect consumers. They don't protect a particular competitor. And so while Google's actions um, may harm other companies in the search, in the general search category or the advertisement category, or even other companies that would like to be on people's mobile devices, um, it's difficult to say at this point that there is a what what is the value of the economic harm because it's offering its products for free. So then you're you're sort of forced to have a model that talks about what would the market be like if these constraints weren't in the market, but you don't really have an economic cost. Maybe consumers would have more choices, perhaps some smaller competitors would have more market share. But it's it's not a clear case. So I think it's a very difficult case. And 
I think part of it is, you know, many of the attorneys at DOJ working on this case felt that it was filed too soon and moved off the project. So I, I, I think it's premature to um, change your investment strategy at this point. Fair enough. And that certainly seems to be running through investors' minds as well. Uh, we'll see if this kind of novel approach, you know, it's similar to Microsoft, but kind of with a different set of circumstances, what that does bear out in the years to come. Alicia, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, you're welcome. Alicia Batts, we appreciate it. Still coming up on The Exchange, the pandemic will have a huge impact on how consumers shop this holiday season. So which retailer will come out on top? The number one retail analyst on the street tells us ahead. Plus, millions of students across the U.S. are learning in their kitchens instead of in a classroom. Could this unexpected shakeup lead to an evolution of the education system? Last, the former U.S. Education Secretary Arne Duncan coming up. And move over Nike and Lululemon. Here comes Kohl's. We'll tell you what they're up to when the exchange is back in a couple. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. The coronavirus is transforming education as we know it and shedding light on some of the structural issues that our education system is facing. Remote learning has shown that the country has an educational divide and is lacking resources, especially teachers, that it needs. So what does the path forward for schools look like? Let's bring in Arnie Duncan. He's the former U.S. Secretary of Education. He joins us first on CNBC ahead of his Milken Conference panel. We appreciate it, Mr. Secretary. Welcome. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. I, you know, I think one of the, the significant but small changes that's probably going to come out of all of this um, is a big rise in homeschooling. Uh, certainly a lot of parents have sent their kids now to private and parochial schools who wouldn't have done so in the past. And uh, and public schools who once kind of had a lock on education, you can kind of feel that slipping this year as a result of everything that's happened. What's that going to look like if we spin the clock forward five or ten years from now? Yeah, I'm not sure if, if I agree with that sort of that long-term trend. It's obviously been just an extraordinarily difficult time for, for kids, for parents, for teachers. We shouldn't be in this situation. This was a natural disaster that morphed into a man-made catastrophe. But at the end of the day, you know, kids want to be in bricks and mortar schools. They want to be around their friends. I think teacher uh, parents have never respected and appreciated what teachers do more than during this time. Um, and so at some point, and it may not be soon, um, very honestly, but at some point as we get past this COVID epidemic, um, I'm hoping the vast majority of children will be able to return to bricks and mortar schools and enjoy not just the academic part, but the chance to be around their friends and all the social emotional learning and benefits that go along with that. Yeah, I certainly understand. And I, some of the parents I'm referring to who have gone to private schools are doing so precisely to have that experience because they want their kids to be around other kids, especially their younger kids. You know, one of the other innovations that has come about this year are these learning pods. And from the teacher's point of view, it's opened up a whole different kind of way of doing business. Um, you know, I don't know what the lasting power will be of that long term, but what, what would you kind of say about the phenomenon of teachers starting pods and kind of reinventing the way that education is disseminated? 
That's a great question. I've said all the time that for me, the goal is not to go back to quote unquote normal, whatever that was, because normal didn't serve too many children well enough. And we have to really use this time to, to try and reimagine and reinvent education. And so there are a couple sort of fundamental things that we should be thinking through that we have always done that maybe aren't in kids' best interest that we need to rethink now. I'll just give you a couple examples of that. One is rethinking the school calendar. Um, we have so many kids around the country who are so far behind now. Um, we always have had the summers off because we had you know, kids working in the farms. That's not true anymore. And there are a lot of kids that need to, that need to catch up and need help. So we have to rethink that. Um, secondly, I would love to see a, a massive national tutoring program to very intensively help those kids, reach those kids to the first behind, help them catch up, whether that's physically, virtually, or both. Third, I think we should move from a sort of a, a, a seed time way of education to competency. You should pass algebra when you know algebra, not just by sitting in class for, for nine months. And then to your point about how we think differently about teachers, just to give you one example and to stay on that algebra example, Let's say you have an amazing algebra teacher at your school that normally teaches, um, call it 100, 125 kids in a day. What if that teacher was able to teach all the freshmen in, in your high school algebra um, and, and do that you know, using technology? And then other teachers could use the, the rest of the day for, for office hours and for small, you know, small, uh, small groups of students and, and individual right. tutoring. So that pod-like concept that you talked about. So it really is a time where, again, for all the lack of leadership at the federal level, local leaders are working so hard to be creative and innovative. And hopefully, hopefully, we can come out of this with something much better, actually, than what existed before. Yeah, to your point, it's making people think, well, why should it even be the best local algebra teacher? Why not the best algebra teacher in the country or in the, in the world, right, Who's, who speaks our language? And, um, you know, so I, like I said, I, I do think kind of, it's opened up this whole new uh, frontier. And as long as this can also ameliorate uh, the digital divide that we've seen this year and not exacerbate it, you know, that's the real focus. Arnie, I know you have a big panel to get to, but really appreciate your time today. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Arnie Duncan is the former Secretary of Education talking about the future of schools. Coming up, Netflix reporting today and expectations are high. In fact, it's had four price target hikes this month. Will it deliver? We'll explore that ahead. And the Comeback Kids, L Brands and The Gap, are just a few retail names that were practically left for dead a couple of months ago. Could their huge return be a sign that retail could be headed for a year-end rebound? We're back in a couple. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. 
Welcome back to The Exchange. Markets are at session highs right now after some positive commentary from Speaker Pelosi about prospects for a stimulus deal, perhaps today. Dow's of 330 points. Let's call it rounding up 1.1%. Pretty even gains across the Dow and the Nasdaq. The S&P slightly outpacing that today. And all 11 sectors are in the green. Consumer discretionary leading the way. Financials, industrials, and communication services are up there as well, all gaining more than 1%. Let's get to Sue Herrera for our CNBC News update. Sue? Thanks so much, Kelly. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. As Kelly just mentioned, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she is optimistic that she can reach a deal with the Trump administration to get more COVID-19 relief out by Election Day. But she tells Bloomberg that more work needs to be done on state and local assistance and also liability protections. Goldman Sachs will reportedly pay $2.8 billion and admit wrongdoing to settle federal charges connected with its role in raising money for a corrupt Malaysian government investment fund. It will not, however, have to plead guilty to criminal charges as part of a deal with the U.S. government that's expected to be formally announced later this week. And take a look at this little guy. Cute alert. This is a baby echidna, Puggle. He is being treated at Sydney's Taronga Zoo for scratches and bird peck marks after falling 15 feet from a tree onto an apartment balcony north of the city. Caregivers say that he's gaining some weight, and even though it doesn't look like it, apparently he's growing a little fur. <laughs> You're up to date. Kel, oh, back what? to you. Echidna. What in the world is an echidna puggle? Which part of that is the is it the echidna or the puggle? I've never heard of this in my life. <laughs> I've seen them. My my son is fascinated by animals, and so I know about the echidna puggle. But um, it's native to Australia. Um, I'm not really sure too much more about him, but he's awfully cute. He's kind of <laughs> he looks a little platypusy. If you say so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Sue, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Sue Herrera with our baby animals update for the day. Uh, By the way, markets are also at session highs and some positive comments from the Fed's Charlie Evans in the last few minutes. Let's talk a little retail, shall we? Because COVID has wreaked havoc on the U.S. economy and it could lead to less spending this holiday season. Bertha Coombs is here now with the details. Bertha? Hey, Kelly, you know, Americans are feeling anxious about physically going into stores during the holidays because of COVID. But a lot of folks are also anxious about spending. According to the Deloitte Holiday Survey, retail survey, 38 percent of consumers say they plan to spend less over the holidays, most because they're worried about the economy. Now, that's the highest reading in the Deloitte survey since the Great Recession in 2008. That's when people scaled back and retail sales actually fell more than 7% over November and December. And that's how much less on average people say that they're gonna spend this year. Most expect to spend nearly $1,400, nearly $500 of that on gifts and cards. That's down about 5% from last year. They expect to spend 34% less on travel and entertainment away from home. And those savings, will go to non-gift purchases, i.e. a little more self-gifting, Kelly. Bertha, thank you very much. We appreciate it, Bertha Coombs. Let's talk a little more about how these changes in consumer behavior will impact retail this holiday season. Joining me now with the winners and losers is Matt Boss. He is head of J.P. Morgan's retailing, department stores, and specialty soft lines team. Today, he was named Institutional Investor's number one analyst uh, for the seventh time in this sector. Like a boss, Matt, welcome back. Thanks for having me on. 
So let's start with the kind of the winners that you see here. Um, and, you know, is it because of COVID? Is it independent of COVID? Uh, who do you think is best positioned for the holiday period? So fundamentally, I would say there's three factors. It's value, convenience, and innovation. Those were actually the fundamental factors we were looking at pre-pandemic to determine winners and losers. I think what comes out of the pandemic is you see size and scale become a much more important factor. I think the changing of customer behaviors and the market share that some companies have been able to garner during this period can be sticky. If you look at the dollar stores, whether it's Dollar General, that's when reporting sales gains much higher than pre-pandemic. The question is how much do some of the changing traffic behaviors stick? I think some of the categories that you'll see, health, wellness, and outdoor, has legs post-pandemic. And the other dynamic would be home. So you just cited it with some of the holiday spending, which I think uh, continues beyond, which is, I think you will see travel and leisure on hold for a continued period as we move into 2021. But I think discretionary could actually fare pretty well, whether it's for the upcoming holiday or through the front half of next year. Yeah, you know, I've seen some other uh, tabulations about how consumer free cash flow is actually kind of at a high point um, and that that could help through the holiday season. So you do have a couple of value names in here like L Brands, um, AEO, remind me if that's Aeropostel. No, I think that's American Eagle, uh, Gap. These are turnaround stories and you think they're going to bear fruit? Yeah, so what we're looking for is a combination. I think you have best-in-class names that come out of this stronger. So that for us would be a Nike, a Lululemon, a VF Corp, Dollar General. And then the flip side to your point is I'm looking for value opportunities, but the value opportunities that have embedded growth. So if you look at L Brands, it's really the Bath & Body Works concept that I think was validated during the pandemic comes out of this period stronger. Similar, if you look at American Eagle, it's the Airy brand <clears throat> that focuses on the casual and the, and the loungewear coming out, which I think casualization is a clear megatrend coming out of this. And third would be the gap, which you have the Old Navy value concept if we were to see a more recessionary backdrop beyond the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you have Athleta, which factors into that health and wellness scenario. Absolutely. Final question, because you do have the off-price retailers here. There's been a little back and forth about whether they're overly affected by the closure of stores, maybe some uh, wackiness with inventory this year. You think they're still well positioned? So I think the inventories are in a much better place today. I think they'll even be on very sizable beneficiaries of all of the disruption, the closures and the bankruptcies that only accelerate out of this pandemic. So I think 2021 actually sets up very well for the off-price retailers, Burlington, TJ Maxx and Ross stores. But I think the opportunity then becomes How much market share can they take out of this? Meaning, I don't think anything has changed with their value proposition, and I don't think anything has changed with their local convenient model. But I think what has changed is a lot less brick-and-mortar competition coming out of this and more market share from a multi-year perspective. That's a good point. I mean, an unfortunate one, again, what it suggests about the rest of the landscape, but investors will be reassured. Matt, thanks for joining us. Congrats. Thanks again. Matt Boss with J.P. Morgan. Coming up, is Tesla losing momentum in California? Talk about that. Plus, it's not a pretty picture for Revlon. BMO says it's time to play and the new player in athleisure. It's all coming up in rapid fire on The Exchange. Welcome back. Let's catch you up on a few stories that should be on your radar today. 
It is time for Rapid Fire. Here to break down the headlines are Dom Chu, Leslie Picker, and Michael Santoli. Welcome, everybody. Let's start with Tesla. They are apparently seeing some troubling signs out in California. According to research firm CrossSell, Tesla vehicle registrations in the state dropped 13% in the third quarter from a year ago due to a steep drop in Model 3 registrations. Now, since California is Tesla's largest U.S. market, the data is seen as a bellwether, especially ahead of the company's earnings tomorrow. Shares down less than 1%. Uh, Dom, what do you make of it? So there's got to be a point here when the upside momentum in Tesla stock kind of takes a bit of a break. And, and we know that there's been a lot of talk about whether or not Tesla is overvalued at these levels, certainly given the run that we've seen over the course of the year. This now comes down to whether or not we do see that penetration for the market in Tesla permeating beyond just states like California. Now, I know anecdotally in where I live, if you do see an electric vehicle out there, it is more than likely a Tesla. But can you say that about other markets besides, say, the New York metro area in California? That remains to be seen. In this earnings report, we'll be looking at whether or not we do see any kind of sign that the momentum is slowing down for them and whether profitability becomes more and more of an issue for some of the investors out there. So Tesla, it's already a big deal. It's already bigger than all the car companies out there in America combined, at least from a market cap perspective. So, yeah, those volumes. Yeah. Big, big deal. Mike, do you add it all up and say, okay, they did the price cuts? You know, they've had a few of these kind of eyebrow-raising headlines lately. Does that all point towards softening demand or no? Yeah, you would have to say the signals are that they, along with everybody else, are struggling. I mean, you would think there'd be some pricing um, umbrella uh, created by the fact that used car prices are so strong and the rest of the industry is actually not giving as many incentives, but they operate in a somewhat uh, separate market. I do think, though, the fact that Uh, Tesla had reported third quarter volumes now, keep in mind. So just under 140,000 a couple of weeks ago. It probably takes a little bit of the sting out of this California number, but it certainly accentuates how important China and the rest of the world is going to have to be for the longer term growth story uh, for Tesla here. Of course, they're on track for that half a million units. They've been talking about it for years. But, you know, if you look at the street numbers, next year is supposed to be up 40 percent from there. That could become a big question if, in fact, they're, they're losing momentum now. All right, and let's bring in Ms. Picker, talk kind of a little changing. Revlon. Go ahead, Leslie. Yep. Oh, no, I was just going to say they've been kind of changing some policies to make it a little less appealing to buy a Tesla lately. They canceled their seven-day return policy. Uh, they pared back their used car warranty. Uh, there, you know, Some people are talking about possible cannibalization of Model Y versus Model S. Uh, and then on, against the backdrop of all of this, you've got these strict uh, restrictions in California related to the pandemic that makes it more difficult to buy a car, even a used car. Uh, and then people just don't have the wallet share that they did a year ago. Yeah, the stock is Teflon, though. It's unbelievable. We'll see if anything changes with earnings. But still, I'm keeping an eye on all of these uh, these trends. Let's talk some Revlon. This one is pretty fascinating. Things, unfortunately, are getting pretty ugly for the beauty company. They're hoping investors trade in their bonds at a steep discount because otherwise they could be worthless. Uh, Revlon shares are down 73% this year. Its market cap has dwindled to a paltry $300 million. They need 95% of bondholders <laughs> to participate in this exchange in order to stave off bankruptcy and that's just for now, Leslie. How dire is it? It's a it's a pretty dire situation. 95% participation from these bondholders is, is no small number. They've tried this in the past, and they haven't gotten that participation. So a lot of people are looking at this, including the credit rate rating agencies, and say if they aren't able to exchange the debt, uh, and, and in this case it's about a, a third of the value, uh, then what's going to happen is 
there's going to be, uh, it's going to trigger an acceleration of a lot of the remaining debt that's on their balance sheet to be payable November 15th. And the credit rating agencies say that this could cause a liquidity crisis, a debt crunch. Uh, people are even talking about the potential for, for the company to need to file bankruptcy if that takes place. So that's why it's really, really imperative uh, for Revlon to actually get enough bondholders to, to trade in their bonds, uh, despite the big discount. They sent a letter yeah. to investors saying, hey, even though it's a big discount, uh, you could, your bonds could be worth nothing if you fail to do this. Right. Mike, the, how did we get here for Revlon? <laughs> oh, I mean, decades of, uh, of being used for financial engineering and piling too much debt on it. It's not really the business as much uh, as it is the capital structure. If you look at something like Estee Lauder, trading at all-time highs or thereabouts, even some other brands, yes, they're certainly right. victimized by uh, some, some trends in terms of away from department stores and, uh, and all the rest of it. But really, it's just about the fact that uh, it's been you know, used as a vehicle uh, uh, you know, round after round uh, of extra uh, leverage. And, and that's where we are right now with more than $3 billion in debt on a $300 million equity market cap. So, uh, you know, it's, it sort of comes down to a game theory thing at this point, which is the, the creditor has to say, what do I think my, my probable recovery is, perhaps in a bankruptcy situation? Mm-hmm. What's the chances it's going to have to go? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's obviously uh, not a good such set of options, but you have to choose among them. No. And listen, I mean, I, I take your point. Look at Estee Lauder. That's what could have been for this company. Instead, this is going to be a, a sad ending no matter what exactly plays out here. All right, let's move along. Talk about BMO making a, a big bet on the recovery. The firm upgraded Dave & Buster's today to outperform and raise its price target to $26. That's 50% more upside. They say the most encouraging sign is that sales in regions where Dave & Buster's have reopened are almost 100% recovered. That's where they've reopened the longest, I should say. And actually, shares of Dave & Buster's are now up four times from their 52-week low, more than 300%. They're up 7% today, Dom. Um, but still, you'd think this would be kind of the last place that people would show up right now. But I guess as they've reopened, they're, they're starting to get that traffic back. So so I was surprised. And, and, and just to be honest, I, I, you, you used the term bellwether before to kind of refloat to to, to, to kind of talk about how Tesla in California is that kind of a, a theme. This is an interesting one with regard to whether or not people actually feel better about the economy amidst the pandemic, feel safe enough to go out and dine out. Now, Dave & Buster's, for those people who haven't been out there, it's like an adult arcade. You go there to play games, joysticks and all, sit on like, you know, motorized bikes, you go to have some dinner and everything. But you do so in an area where you're among other people as well. If this is truly a case and you are seeing a recovery in some of those markets, this is a big deal because it could portend and be good for all the other restaurants and bars and everything else out there. I'm a little bit more kind of concerned about whether or not these kinds of trends can last into the fall and into the winter, given the flu concerns. But, I mean, that's a big deal if Dave and Buster's can, back, can get back into business the way that they have pre-pandemic. I agree. They're still down 50% year to date, so we won't get ahead of ourselves, but that's a dramatic recovery off the lows. All right, finally, we know that Athleisure has been the big winner from 2020. Kohl's today is announcing, announcing the launch of Flex. That's its new private label Athleisure brand. Flex will be available next March for men and women, but investors are already buying into the idea. You just saw the stock is up 8% on the news that Kohl's made during Investor Day. Mike, it's amazing to me that for a trend that you and I have been talking <laughs> yeah. about as, as over for like a decade, exactly. here comes Kohl's as a new entrant into the space, yeah. and the shares are up 8%. There's I mean, no reason on. for you to be so generous about that. I've been the one that's been handicapping the end of athleisure, <laughs> uh, or at least making a gamp in that direction for a few years right now. 
And obviously, I underestimated the fact how people would have no trouble uh, walking out in public looking as if they're going to go, go to the gym at, at all times. Um, now, the private label move is probably <laughs> smart for a popular product line for any uh, you know, chain department store. But I would ask you, are you closer to the beginning or the end of a trend when all of the, the discounters <laughs> decide it's time to have their own brand? Leslie? Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, when you hear March, you're kind of like, I was hoping by March I might maybe get back in my <laughs> jeans again or be buying some <laughs> regular clothes. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm being too optimistic here, but it seems like the only new purchases I've made in the past seven months have been athleisure. So by March, I don't know. I feel like my, my drawers are full of yoga pants and I don't know how many more yoga pants I can fit in there. 100% agree, Dom. I wish they were coming out with like a work formal line. And it was like, you know, Coles, we're going back to yes. work. We're going back to school in March. You know, we're all wearing pleated pants and, and blazers with, you know, with, with uh, what are those called? Shoulder pads? I mean, give us some hope here. <laughs> but, 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 but it all depends on what kind of athleisure you're talking about. Because it could be yoga pants, to Leslie's point, or it could be sweats and hoodies. But it can also be, I just bought a pair of Lululemon ABC pants, right? The, these kind of pants that they have that are great for traveling, that, that kind of look like suit pants just in and of themselves. I love those pants. I, I keep on buying them because I can go out that they look like normal work pants and they feel kind of like comfy sweats or lounging type wear. So it all depends on whether or not you kind of get that trend moving that direction as opposed to saying, hey, I'm just going to wear sweats and hoodies all day. That's a different kind of athleisure and one I think may be kind of going a little bit more away, but I think people are going to want to be comfortable and they're going to want to buy those types of clothes that make them feel professional and yeah. comfortable at the same time. It, there's a happy medium to be Dumb, struck there somewhere. When this line... When this line comes out, I want pictures of what's in it. And okay, and if there are professional pants, you win. And if it's all sweatshirts and sweatpants, <laughs> then we win. Well, hopefully, Coles is, is paying attention. Coles is really up hopefully, Coles is, is paying win? attention. Yeah. <laughs> what do we win? I wear my Uniqlo stretchy pads right now. The prize? <laughs> what would a good prize be for uh, for the pandemic? A, a face mask? You know, you can. We're all gonna have a bonfire of yeah. the face masks next year. Hopefully, we've already decided in our neighborhood. We're gonna throw them all in, incinerate them. Uh, but anyway, like that's that. how we get like through that. the in. times like these. <laughs> Guys, thank you all. We appreciate it today. Dom Chu, Leslie Picker, and Mike Santoli in Rapid Fire. Let's get a quick check on the markets as we go. We are at fresh session highs for all three indices. Dow's up 354 points. Consumer discretionary is in the leadership today. Financials are up there as well as we wait more details on a possible stimulus deal. Still ahead, Netflix added 10 million subscribers last quarter. Can they match it this time around? How much growth could slow? And the other key factors to watch in today's earnings release. That's next. Netflix turning higher just minutes ago ahead of its earnings report that's after the bell today. Shares are now up by about half a percent. Now, the company is forecasting the addition of just two and a half million subscribers, although analysts expect them to add about 3.3 million. Still, it pales with what they did last quarter. Joining me with what to expect, Young Kim is senior entertainment tech analyst at Piper Sandler, and Sarah Fisher is the media reporter at Axios. Welcome to both. Sarah, I'll start with you. So a deceleration quarter for Netflix? Yeah, that's what it's looking like. I mean, we saw the stock go down way much into Q2 because they forecasted there would be a lot of slow growth. And the reason being, Kelly, is that people are no longer stuck at home. Lockdowns are starting to be lifted. There's also some increased competition. We know new streaming services like Peacock have launched. So consumers have options and they're no longer just stuck inside the TV. 
Young, uh, what are your thoughts on the quarter and the company's uh, share price performance this year? What's priced in? You know, I, I think the COVID-19 stay-at-home scenario is what's priced in at this point. I think the major concern is what happens when these stay-at-home rules ease. I mean, we've run a number of surveys so far that shows that uh, consumers are very adamant about staying with Netflix even after the stay-at-home rules ease. So I'm pretty comfortable with where the numbers are right now, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. Yeah, Young, kind of sticking with that theme, one of the big debates in the market is about whether to stick with pandemic winners or not, because they've, on, you could argue, pulled forward a lot of demand. Or on the other hand, you could say, no, this is kind of the new normal for the way that people uh, consume content. For Netflix, throw on top of that a possible price hike. Do you want to see them raise prices or do you think they would uh, risk losing too many subs over that? You know, I expect to see some kind of price hike over the next six to 12 months. And that's assuming that they do uh, grandfather in their current subscribers as well. I mean, I do think it's a fair concern about whether a price hike would, uh, you know, dissuade other people from joining the service. But what we're seeing right now, although I think partial part of it is a pull forward, I think we're also seeing an acceleration of trends that were happening even before COVID. People were already cutting the cord and switching from their uh, traditional cable TV to streaming services. So I don't see this as terribly unusual and, and a pull forward solely, but an acceleration as well. Yeah. What's your price target, Young, on the shares? I'm currently at 534, and that's 60 times uh, my uh, 21 EPS estimate of about 890. However, I, I think it's important to note that the five-year historical uh, multiple on uh, next 12 months is around 70 times, and the 10-year is around 120. So I think I'm still being pretty conservative at 60. Wow. It, it's wild that it can trade that way for as long as it can. And by the way, the shares are at 533, so just right below your, your target. Sarah, the, the kind of larger question here for Netflix as well is, how do they continue to fare amid so much competition? You know, this is not five or 10 years ago. There's nothing unique anymore about their offerings except for the literal unique uh, original series and that sort of thing they have. So how, how are they going to navigate this increasingly crowded landscape? Well, it's really crowded in the United States and in Canada. So where they're going to look to growth is overseas in international markets. And they've been pretty clear about that's what their ambitions are. But the other thing to think about with competition, Kelly, is that they don't just see other streaming services as competition. Reed Hastings has said Fortnite, TikTok, other apps where you spend your time, that is becoming their new big competitor here in the United States. And so in order to innovate, they're not only going to have to optimize their programming, but they're going to have to make sure that they continue to be a mobile success, something that people can watch when things do open up in lockdowns, that people can watch on the road, on their iPads, et cetera. Yeah, and sleep uh, is their biggest competitor as well, he said. Always look forward to hearing his commentary on the call. Thank you guys for now. Sarah Fisher and Young Kim on Netflix today. Still ahead, General Motors is going electric. The details of its latest production plan and its hotly anticipated vehicle next with the shares having a nice session today. And join CNBC on November 10th for a summit with iconic global companies and executives who are embracing change and transforming the future. CNBC.com slash Evolve. We're back in two. 
Let's check out some of the movers this hour. Shares of Logitech are sharply higher on a big beat on their top and bottom line. Work from home, the biggest tailwind there. Remember, we spoke to the CEO about that a few months ago. Demand for computer accessories like mice and keyboards remaining strong. They're up 16% today. Shares of Albertsons also higher on much better than expected earnings. Revenue beat helped by a 243% surge in digital sales, 4% gain for Albertsons. And Parsley Energy is reportedly in talks to be acquired by rival Pioneer, according to people familiar with the matter who spoke to the Wall Street Journal. The two sides are said to be discussing an all-stock deal that could be completed by the end of October. Remember, just yesterday on the show, oil and gas analyst Paul Sankey said watch Parsley as the next possible acquisition target. Its shares are up 4%, Pioneers down 4% today. And speaking of movers, shares of GM are higher by about 8%, the company doubling down on its electric vehicle plans today. With a multi-billion dollar investment and a new Hummer revealed tonight, the automaker resurrecting the Hummer as an electric truck. An SUT, I think they call it, a sport utility truck. Phil Lebeau is here with more for us. Phil? Hey, Kelly, some people are going to be calling the Hummer a modified pickup truck, whatever you call it. It's going to get a lot of attention when General Motors shows it to us tonight. Today, the company announced that it's making a substantial investment, the latest of almost $5 billion of investment announcements the company has made since the beginning of 2019. This will be $2 billion. The biggest chunk will go to retool its Spring Hill, Tennessee plant. That's where they're going to build the Cadillac Lyric. That is an all-electric Cadillac SUV that will be coming out next year. The Lyric and this is what they showed us of the Lyric when they uh, unveiled it back in August. It's one of 20 new models, new EV models coming from GM by 2023. As we mentioned earlier, this is all we've seen, this teaser video for the new Hummer electric, GMC Hummer electric pickup truck that they will be showing us tonight. And I hear a lot of people say, well, General Motors stock has done nothing. Look at the stock over the last six months, and I'm comparing it with the S&P 500, which it has outperformed, as well as Tesla. Now, I know Tesla has had a heck of a year, so it's not going to catch up to where Tesla was. But I think GM shares, what, up more than 60% have had a really nice move, especially the last three months. Don't forget, after the Hummer is unveiled tonight, tomorrow morning, we're going to be talking with the president of General Motors, Mark Royce. He is one of the leaders that is spearheading the effort to convert General Motors into not a completely electric portfolio of vehicles, but a much larger presence in the world of electric vehicles. Don't want to miss that interview tomorrow morning. Kelly? But can that new Hummer fit three car seats, Phil? <laughs> no. Why well, GM shares are up we'll today. Find on, out. Is it on the analyst upgrade? <laughs> I'm sorry, the, the stock moving higher today? Yeah. Well, it's moving higher for, for a, a number of reasons. And a number of analysts have been saying more positive things about General Motors in terms of the EV portfolio. I think the move today is a combination of things. You've got the investment announcement. They now will have three plants that are building EVs, as well as in anticipation of the Hummer unveil tonight. Yeah. All right, Phil, thank you very much, sir. As always, we appreciate it. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.